I'm so excited, Richard! South by Southwest is here! We're gonna have so much fun! It's like over a week of movies and parties! It's gonna be great! Chris, it's done. It's done. We're all exhausted. We've all been through it. It was ten days. It's it's done. What? We've we've finished with South by. It's over. Wait, what? No, of course it's not finished. I I would remember being at South by Southwest. I mean, I holy crap! Look at my credit card bill. What, what the what? What the hell happened? How can I be that far in the negative? What, what did I? Here, hold on. Beer, beer, beer. Okay, and there it says beer. How do I, how could I not possibly remember buying all this beer over the last week? Because it's South by Southwest and that's what you do. What, are you saying it's just because of beer? Yeah, usually, yes. Jesus, I need a beer. Digital Noise, episode hey, oh. <laughs> Mumble, mumble. Mumble, mumble, mumble. Uh, We've been I, away. Uh, what now? We've been away. We have. We took a week off because we had to, even though this is, I'm just now finding this out, apparently. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm punishing the cat. Hold on. Stop eating wires. <laughs> and uh, we had a good week, and you can hear all about it, and you hear more about it here because we're going to take a sec in a second here to talk about Richard's South by Southwest experience. <laughs> yes, this week. <laughs> what I remember of it. What he remembers of it exactly. Uh, but first, before we get started, welcome to Digital Noise. As I said, the show where we review all your favorite Blu-rays, DVDs, and all your least favorite ones as well, because that's just how much we love you. We watch that crap. Uh, <laughs> and there was some crap. If you there see something some on our show or hear about something that you would be interested. in buying, well, if you go to the actual oneofus.net digital noise uh, page for the show in question, there's a bunch of links up there with pictures of each thing that we review, as well as time codes to where we review it. If you click on those links, it'll bring you to an Amazon.com page where you can buy it. But here's the key. If you do that, we get a kickback if you go through our links from whatever you spend. And not just those movies. Let's say you want a new couch. I don't even know if they sell couches, but let's presume yeah, that they, they do. do. Do they? Okay, fair enough. Kitty let's, litter. Let's let's say you need to buy a couch and some kitty litter. We buy our kitty litter through Amazon. Well, there you go. Not kidding. I, I buy a lot of really weird stuff. I buy my underwear on Amazon, you know? Fuck More it. than I needed to know. <laughs> you know, I like it with the special scent pouches. I'm, I'm just glad you wear underwear. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, sometimes. Sometimes you la, gotta, la, 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 sometimes la, la, you gotta, la, la, you gotta, Don't drive off the last remaining listeners. Sometimes you got to go a little bad Arnold Schwarzenegger movie from the 80s. Commander. No, no, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm, think, I'm thinking of Red Dawn. Yeah, that was Scorpion. bad too. Oh, no, no, no. Girls uh, go Red Dawn. Lionheart. No, that's not Schwarzenegger <laughs> Lionheart, either. Lionheart, no. That's no, like, none I think of them. that's no, Seagal. That's the, that's the point. Ah, uh, okay, fair I, enough. Lionheart's Jean-Claude Van Damme. Is it? I don't watch those yeah, crappy movies. Way. He's in the uh, the French Foreign Legion. Nah. And then he runs back to uh, kill his brother's killers nah. through an, elab- an elaborate plot <laughs> involving uh, underground fighting. Because that's what they did. Was it a good movie? 
No. Well, there you go. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, you click through those, you buy anything through those, and we get a kickback. So let's say you do need kitty litter, underwear, or a new couch. Start from our links, and then surf from there on Amazon to what it is you need to buy, and they still give us the money. I don't know why, but I'm happy about Miracles it. Miracles of technology. Also, thank you to all you subscribers. Can't tell you how much we love you guys. We will be sh- having more and more new stuff for subscribers only soon, because guess what? I got a GoPro camera for, for my birthday, so we're going to be... As long as none of this involves you in your underwear. <laughs> no, I promise. There will be nothing with me in my underwear unless it's special request only for $20 and ab- above subscribers. But uh, we already, my eyes. My we already, eyes. already have two exclusive podcasts on there. The Breakfast Pub, which, of course, is all news shows uh, about entertainment news with Brian and me. And then The Original Gentleman, which comes out bi-weekly with myself, Martin, sometimes Bo, and a whole host of other familiar faces from people who remember Leog in the old days. Please check it out. Also, our new sponsor is Audible.com. If you click on the link on the page, it actually says Audible.com. It should be on the bottom of the page there and go there. Become a, a subscriber for a free trial on there. Free. You get a free ebook. And there's a lot of good ebooks on there. This isn't just books on tape either anymore. They have grown up with the times. There's all sorts of audio dramas and other good stuff. Really, really recommend it if you've never tried it before. You obviously already like podcasts. Why not give Audible.com a try and do it through our links? All right. That is the house cleaning out of the way. Yay! And now, uh, in case I forgot to mention it, Richard was at South by Southwest, too. I was. We just <laughs> barely saw each other this year. Yeah, it was, there's a lot of running around. It was ships in the night this year. Every time we'd see you, you were like, I'm in her, I gotta go! I gotta go! I'm because running to something! It's not personal, I've gotta go see stuff! I gotta go see this other stuff that's more interesting than anything that you have to offer. <laughs> Why you stood in my way? Do you have free beer or a sandwich? No. Move. Exactly. <laughs> Are you a screen? No. Move. <laughs> you were all business. Uh, it, it is by far my busiest time of the year. Yeah. By far, bar none. It's kind of like 10 in the morning till 2 the next day. Filing copy desperately for the Austin Chronicle, because you can read everything I wrote at austinchronicle.com. Plug, plug. Um, yeah, I, I, had a good, I had a good one this year. I want to say, I think the Midnighters this year, uh, by and large, were excellent. The few the, that I got to sound? see were pretty good, with exception of one, and I don't want to talk shit about something that was, yeah. Talk shit, get shot. You know, it's it, it like if it's out on DVD, I'll talk all the shit I want. So I'm starting to feel like at festivals, I feel a little bit bad about if I really hate something about laying into it, you know? No, I, some of my favorite films this year, i got to say, were... Um, he Never Died, which is Henry Rollins as an immortal cannibal, and oh. he is superb in it. It like, is so good. No, isn't the idea there that he's been around for a while? He's been immortal for a bit. A long time. And and now, for some reason, he's starting to feel bad about being a cannibal. No, he doesn't care. Uh, okay. He's Sorry, been around for so long that he doesn't care. He's done everything twice. So what's, what is the tension here? The, like, well, the, it's, the it's about him being this guy who is dragged into mortal affairs, which is the last thing he wants to do. And it's how does somebody who is immortal, who has sailed down the Nile a thousand times, has nothing left to do. How do they interact with the affairs of petty humans when they have no option but to get involved? They I get feel- dragged in. It works so well because Henry Rollins has this weight and this gravitas about him. And delivers. There's just character beats. Like there's a moment where some guys are trying to get into a fight with him, and he pushes one of them away. And the way he does it, 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 everything you need to know about the character is summed up in that moment. It's a great performance. It's very entertaining. I I really enjoyed that. Um, We are still here, 
which is coming out uh, later this year. Which was magnificent. Yeah. Uh, by uh, Ted Geergen, who we know Ted mainly because he's actually uh, a PR guy of many years standing. But he started off making independent films, right. moved into PR, wrote this script, decided he wanted to direct it. It's full of people we love. Uh, um, Barbara Crampton. Barbara Crampton, Larry Fessenden, Lisa Marie. There's so many good people in this. Do we, do we love Lisa Marie? We do. Okay. We do. I, I thought we. I thought we were entertained by her absurdity, but that was as we, far as we no, were going to take is, it. <laughs> she is hugely great in this in this film. We really awesome, kind of Fulci meets Lovecraft. Very unexpected, very unpredictable. Yeah, the first really truly good evil house movie we've seen in a, in a long time. Yeah, and it it has. It's one of these ones that there's actually a lot of things going on, and it doesn't. Just become this sprawling mess. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. One of the things I really loved was Pod as well, which wasn't really on anybody else's radar. Again, kind of a sealed cabin in the woods thing. Uh, again, set in New England, like um, uh, uh, we are still here. The basic idea is that these two siblings go to help their brother who has PTSD and is locked away in the family's hunting shed in the middle of nowhere. And they get there and think he's just gone mad. Well, he may have, but he may also have found something horrible in the woods. And it's that tension of, of is he just crazy? How do you deal with, with a family member who's quite clearly gone insane? Um, I really loved it. I actually said that you know, the, with the rebooted X-Files, which we've just found out about, Yay. I'd like to see the director be given it be given at least one episode because it has that kind of cra- same crazy ambiguity and claustrophobia that the best monster of the week episodes of the X-Files carried off. Uh, I thought it, I thought that was wonderful. And a non-horror beat. Um, one of my favorite things I saw was, um, it. Uh, it's called Landfill Harmonic Orchestra. Okay. And it is a documentary about this community in Paraguay where the only job is going through the local landfill where the big cities send all their trash and pulling out the recyclables. That's what you do if you live there. Okay. That's it. That's the only job. And this guy was sent down for the government to try and get a recycling program going there. And then he realized, like, it wasn't really going to happen to do it in any organized way because you have to do it at source. You can't do it there. But he got so involved with the community and finding out that every, the kids there basically have no art education. The school is pretty much crumbling. There's nothing there for them. They're just waiting to get the same job as their parents and go work in this. So in your degree and pulling out things of recycling. Pretty yeah, much. pretty yeah. much. And then, so he decided to form an orchestra. But the thing is that, as he points out, if you have an actual instrument, it's going to be worth more than your house because your house is made out of old pieces of wood you scavenged. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is a slum. This is, you know, you think of a Brazilian favela, something like that. This is what these people live in. This is, this is favela is like a mansion. Combined yeah. This is desperate poverty. And he finds this guy who goes, oh, no, I can make instruments out of trash. And they'll play. And they do. And this guy sat there and taught these kids to play music, to play classical music. And it is one of the most heartwarming stories because these kids have done amazing things. The instruments sound amazing. You could put them up against any storeboard uh, violin or... or uh, This guy makes saxophones out of scrap. (laughs) <laughs> That's crazy. Coins for the for the the keys. Uh, this is an amazing story. I'm really hoping somebody picks this up because this, this is just one of these films where you go, you want to talk about victory of the human spirit in unendurable circumstances. 
even when the worst things happen to them, they go, ah, you know what? We had a flood. It just washed some of the trash away. There's worst things that happen to us. It is is really, really astounding movie. And that was one of my favorite things I've seen, not just this year, but the last couple of years. It's wow. really, everybody who watched it was just, you could see them tearing up. Amazing appearance uh, by uh, Megadeth at one point. That okay. Just, you need to see it just for how Megadeth gets involved with this. That's this is, this bizarre. Is a, and it's, yeah, Landfill Harmonic Orchestra. Great film. All right, fair enough. Anything else you want to bring up about South by Four? Uh, uh, if you ever do it, folks, take your B12 shots and, and uh, emergency every day. And I would just like to say, before we do anything else, I would like to say thank you so much to my incredibly understanding wife, Melissa. <laughs> As always. Because she puts up with the fact that I roll in at two in the morning, exhausted, and I'm back out of the door at ten the next day. And uh, and I love you so much, sweetie. Uh, just remember, if you're going RSVP for everything... Everything, even if you don't Everything. make it. Even if you think there's no way you're going to make it, RCP for it anyway, because you just don't know where the where the day is going to take you. Pri- prioritize things with food. Yes. Prioritize with things. It's food, then booze. Yeah. And That's look, the look carefully at all the emails you get sent, and also just go on the Eventbrite page. Yeah. You know, because there'll be like a day or two before the festival, there'll be just everything will be RSVP. And RSVP Easter as well. Yeah. Oh, that's another good one. Which is another good one. Yeah. It's All great. Right. If you've never done it, folks, I do recommend South by Southwest, but it is um, <laughs> yeah. an It'll take a couple of years off your life. Maybe. Maybe yeah. a few. Especially if you go to the Animal Planet party with me and Brian again, like we did the last two years. Fools. So I have... Mm, so fun. Fools. Except there were no cats this year at the Animal Planet cat party. What is that all about? <laughs> <laughs> They're not, not a cat to be seen. No. Just dear. pictures of cats and little cat headbands that we got to wear. Mainly because you didn't give them back last time. Well, now we have them here, and they're well-loved. Don't pet the bunny, George. (laughs) All right, it's time to uh, head out in the driveway in our bathrobes and open up... The Letterbox. You've got mail. Yes, that's right, the Letterbox. Thank you, Torgo. I miss Torgo. I know, right? I know, I go away for a week and a half, and he's like, oh! Oh, there he just is. Just put a, put a beer in there for him. Oh, there you go, Torga. just pour it in his bowl. Uh, Neo, I'm sorry, uh, Neo, whose name is probably not pronounced Neo, but uh, that's what it says here. Neo Kalez, who is from, says greetings from Poland. I, I'm so sorry. I, I know I said your name wrong. Says Neil Blomkamp is going to direct a new Alien movie. How do you feel about the fact it will potentially ignore parts three and four? And what would you like to see in an upcoming Alien movie? Okay, first off, he said... That it doesn't ignore parts three and four. It's not like, it's not like a uh, like Superman Returns did with Superman three and four. It takes place before three and four, apparently. What? Yeah, it's going to be like one of those movies that slid in the middle somehow. What? I don't know how. Maybe it's a parallel universe or something. Especially with their advanced age, like Michael Biehn is in it, so clearly, like, like, I mean, he didn't die yet, like they said he did at the beginning of Aliens three. What? Yeah. Have you not read any of this? I've been trying to avoid this because it was going to make my head hurt. Um, But, you know, I love the Alien series. I love that they're getting back to, like, we get to see what happens to these two characters. I would love it as well. I'd love it if they made it where, like, they did get sucked off to some, like, parallel (laughs) split. And this is a world... (laughs) Phrasing. (laughs) This is a world where they have actually, they grew old in the pod. While they were in space, like something went wrong with the pot, so they've been aging in there. And maybe you could even get the actress who played Newt full on like her age to appear as her age, because there's a lot of interesting drama there. Oh, she never got to have a childhood, yeah, you know, for real. But now she's hot, so it's all is forgiven. Come on. <laughs> um, 
You know, as far as what I'd like to see, uh, well, I mean, they did just say that it's not going to in any way, like, interfere with Prometheus 2, which I don't care because I didn't really care about Prometheus 1. But from, <laughs> they've even said about Prometheus 2, you're not going to see the aliens. That was like, you've seen as much of the alien xenomorph as you're going to see in the Prometheus series. That little teaser thing. Oh, the, 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 the silly cardinal thing, which looked stupid. Yes. Really hated that. Yes. Prometheus can just suck a bag. It really, it, <laughs> that is a, it is actively a bad film. I will say that is a bad film. It is the best, it's the best looking terrible film I think I've seen in years. Did you know you can actually buy a bag of gummy dicks now? That so is awesome. Send someone a bag of dicks to eat. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I mean, what would we want to see? I want to see... I don't know. Actually, I don't know what the actual answer is. I just want to see another really good movie that doesn't feel like the previous three Neil Blomkamp films. They don't all have to have that... Yeah. You know? I, I think the problem they've got is that it, what people wanted from an Alien film is is what they got from Alien Isolation. Uh, so that's really, I think, their new competition is yeah. that game. Um, I mean, I... I gotta say, I like Alien Three. I, I even like the horrible bastardized version that was initially released. Yeah, I can't. I go think there with what you. you what they find it, it's not great because, but you can see in what was released, there's some really fascinating stuff. I think what they finally put out as the not director's cut, but the restored cut, which was closer to what Fincher wanted. I think you can see there's a real gem of a film in there. Yeah. It's not amazing. You know, four is, you know, that was the film those people were going to make. That was the film that you put crazy Frenchmen in charge of. That was the film they were going to release. I like four for that very reason. It's it's fun. It's (laughs) silly. It's, but people complained about them because they go, well, it's not like alien or aliens. well, Well, aliens wasn't like alien. Aliens is a complete, tempo change so i kind of like the idea of a tempo change i don't want to see him emulate what anybody had done before and but i do want a producer who's going to tell him no stop being so bloom campy stop (laughs) stop making us wish that you'd you know you you didn't watch anything other than district nine right he's he's a man who watches his own films too much i'm absolutely convinced of this um he did just say in an interview that like he considered those three films a thematic trilogy and at least for the foreseeable future he was done making films with that style yeah and good yeah because otherwise you start to become one of those guys years later we're like oh great he's the tim burton of science fiction yeah he just can't break away from his very distinctive trappings i, th- I think I don't, I don't want it to be too much of an action movie i do I, I would like to see it go back to being a more of a horror franchise i think just but i like to see bloom camp but that's just because i want to see bloom camp do a horror movie see i'd like to see it go into smart science fiction you know i mean like i would love to see more of the mythology in the universe not completely stupid and making no sense the way it did in prometheus yeah you know, I the one thing I, I will not forgive Prometheus for is trying to find where the aliens came from and fucking it up so badly when yep. there was a billion more interesting origin stories you could have done for them. Oh, I think more importantly, the worst thing it did was the fact that no character had a, a lick of sense about them. Oh, the man. Cart- and in fact, they actively get dumber. Like the... The cartographer guy who gets who, lost, who we've seen has a digital map of the complex on his arm, gets lost. The the xenobiologist pokes the penis snake. Yeah, these people are idiots. The people take off their masks the moment they realize there's air because well, there couldn't be anything else dangerous. Morons, yeah. morons. Anyway, anyway, moving on. All right, moving on. Joshua McDonald Dowell wants to know what is the most unique crime gangster movie you have seen. Okay, I'm actually going to kind of cheat on this because it's now been done again in a way. 
Uh, but I've got to go with Bugsy Malone. Oh, right. Of course, with the kids and Jodie yeah, Foster. It, which is, if you've never seen it, it's Alan Parker showing that cocaine is a hell of a drug, seemingly. Yeah. He decided to do a gangster musical <laughs> with kids. Yes. And, and one of the best pie fights ever. Well, the, the, the they have, I mean, it looks like a 1920s gangster film, but the the Tommy guns fire custard pie balls and the cars, they actually, like, they made miniature uh, uh, Daimlers and uh, uh, they're period authentic, but they're, they're actually pedal cars. <laughs> and it, yeah, it, it, I mean, the sexuality gets a little bit creepy uh, because, like, 14-year-old Jodie Foster as a, as a femme fatale is a little bit creepy. A little weird. Yeah, yeah that's very weird. Well, uh, that's young J- Jodie Foster's entire career. career she yeah. and Brooke Shields fighting it out for who could have the creepiest prepubescent career. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but it's a, it a great crazy film. Uh, it's kind of emulated in recent years by a Japanese film called Kid Police. Uh, oh, yeah. Which is where suddenly, for no really apparent reason... Uh, this entire police squad uh, becomes small children. They're still themselves, right? You know, they don't, they don't suddenly become childish. They're still themselves. They're, they act they're, like they're, adults. But, yeah, they act like adults. But it's all it's, played by kids. It's completely bonkers. Yeah. So it kind of does the same thing. But you got to go back to the source, which is the completely insane Bugsy Malone. It's funny. The only thing I could think of with this question were the the pigeons on Tiny Tunes. <laughs> yes. Yes. It immediately made me go, I love those pigeons. I, 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 I Good feathers. Good feathers. That yeah. was it. <laughs> yep. All right. John Bailey says, is there a real world event or person's life you're surprised hasn't been made into a movie yet? Uh, this dovetails for me into one of the titles we didn't get to see, but we're going to briefly talk about this uh, this week. But, you know, there have been almost no movies made about the Revolutionary War. Yeah. Hardly any. And those that there were pretty much sucked or they were just dumb. Like, yeah. I enjoy The Patriot as much as the next guy, but it's dumb. Also woefully historically inaccurate. Yeah. <laughs> Almost um, as historically inaccurate as Braveheart. Story for another day. Yeah, well, but that's a better made film, so. Yeah. Yeah. I can forgive historically inaccurate if it's actually a good film. Braveheart's it's a good film that doesn't even vaguely resemble what actually happened. Nope. Not even close. Yeah, I love when people get all heated because the movie isn't exactly historically right like they did with The Imitation Game. I was like, I'm sorry, can you tell me how many historical films are significantly close to what actually happened that's retarded let it go my, I, I did have a complaint with, with people who were criticizing the imitation game because uh, a friend of mine uh, who is gay so I will actually say that uh, as a, as a, <laughs> to preface otherwise this comment sounds really horrible uh, and he said on his Facebook page so basically what this film is telling me is that I, I owe a, a you know, that a gay person is responsible for me having a laptop and I went, yes, asshole. It's completely true. What's wrong with that? that is all, but it's also completely true. Like yeah. the main thrust of it, that basically without him, you don't have modern computing. Yes, totally fucking true. Yeah. And, and I think it's just honestly. There's a reason it's called the Turing test. Yeah. <laughs> and it's completely honestly, I think there's still a lot of Americans who are very upset that uh, the British really uh, did the first major developments in modern electronic computing. Yes. Which is completely true. And they get really upset when you point out like, things like Colossus, which predates what IBM was doing by a couple of years and they get really fucking upset about that so yeah, yeah. there you go thank you very much also the, also the World Wide Web you're welcome you're, well, you are welcome <laughs> Tim, Berner, Tim Berners-Lee doesn't come from Ohio not I love, with that name I love how he cleverly divi- threw this away from the Revolutionary War and started talking about how great the British are <laughs> where I'm like about to say yeah we should need more movies with the yeah, British and the bad guys who get their asses on, handed on, to uh, on, on, on uh, your, separate, your separatist uh, state that uh, continued to uh, adopt 
Oh, slavery for how how much longer after we got rid of it in the UK? Yeah, no question. We oh. we fucked up a lot of things. <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, the Revolutionary War. You were saying I would I wouldn't call myself a uh, a, a huge patriot, mind you, but the Revolutionary War was a fascinating time with a lot of weird shit going on and a lot of spycraft that most people don't even know about. There's like a, a thousand stories that happened during the Revolutionary War that were not taught in school, that just aren't generally discussed, but are out there if you want to read about them. I mean, just George Washington's life alone. Like, crazy shit that was going on around that. Wow. And I just want to see him smoke pot but have to take out his wooden teeth first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, people from that period, I would like to see stories that that aren't just big glamour puff pieces and even stuff that kind of make clear... Hey, by today's standards, like anybody, what these guys were doing, they were pretty much terrorists. You yeah. know, it's like you're a freedom fighter if they're if you support them. They're a terrorist if you don't. <laughs> that that is the golden rule. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, showing my dark sensibilities here. Uh, Henry H. Holmes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Devil in the White City. The Devil guy. in the White City. And I'm a little bit amazed that nobody's. Uh, there's been a documentary. There's rumors. That the new American Horror Story episode, is, which is called Hotel, is yeah. about him, but nobody knows yet. Yeah, uh, I, but yeah, Henry H. Holmes is such a fascinating figure, and the investigation of his work is is you know, and what he managed to pull off is, is uh, so um, uh, bizarre. You know, the story of this guy who you know just built a ki- built a house that is basically a killing machine. Yeah. Yeah, he built he built a, a, a death trap house. Yeah, where the rooms had like gas, poison gas, or sleeping gas that would feed into it, so he could knock people out. Then open secret panels and slide them down chutes into cells in the basement. Yeah, you know, uh, like I mean, stuff like that all through this place, and they don't even know how many people he killed because he had this huge burner in the basement that totally immolated every last trace of his victims. And it, yeah, they know it's it's dozens. It could be up in the hundreds. They yeah. got no clue. Because he did this during the Chicago World Fair. Yeah. So there were huge numbers of people who had come up and go stay in, the, in his place. And yeah. he never oh. The only again. reason he got caught is because he got too greedy with uh, trying to suck money out of this young, I believe it was a widow. Yeah. 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 If and you get a chance, the book by Eric Larson, The Devil in the White City, it's really a masterpiece of a novel that's not I, only ama- about him, but about how incredibly difficult it was to even pull off the Chicago World's Fair in the first place. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> how it oh, almost I, didn't happen. Any of the Larson books. Yeah. yeah I'm, he, I just he's, got the he's new... He's arguably the, the best... Uh, American writer at putting a, a a person's life into a historical context. I just got the new one, Dead Wake, by the, the Louisitania. Oh, yeah. And I can hardly wait to start reading it. Yeah, the uh, the other guy I'm going to go with, uh, who I think will be a fascinating subject of a, 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 a story a film, would be uh, Francis Walsingham, who was Elizabeth I's spymaster. Oh, yeah, yeah. basically invented modern spycraft. Right. And... You could do a hard spycraft period piece that would just be amazing and just cr- crisscross Europe. And, it, you know, I think as much as anything else, show how modern the Elizabethan era was and how much more complicated than could people go, oh, it's just people wandering around, throwing, throwing ham hocks at dogs. It's like, no, this was a, an era of incredible political complexity. Right. And I'm really shocked nobody's done Walsingham because he's such a, 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 a remarkable dark but loyal figure he's I, and he'd be really fascinating interesting now i'm interested in reading more about him that sounds cool well let's close the letterbox shonk 
<laughs> That's the letterbox closing. And sorry. Oh, I caught Torgo's fingers in there. I'm sorry. Here, have another beer. Uh, have some more fingers. And it's time to get into the reviews. And we're going to start off with a classic, no question, like one of those Orson Welles films that are is it's not one you know it's not at the level of Citizen Kane or Touch of Evil, but it's almost there. Yeah. Yet much less seen than those films, which is a shame, which is The Lady from Shanghai, which now is getting a brand new Blu-ray release, um, arguably the best looking of the three Blu-ray releases of this film that have come yeah. out so far, although this one is made so you can get it inexpensively. You know, it's just bare bones. It's yeah. the movie. None of the extras from previous versions, but uh, this is directed by Orson Welles in 1947, also starring him, and his then-wife, Rita Hayworth, who just looks amazing and so you see why G.I.'s had her picture up all over the place because damn Um, (laughs) based on a novel If I Die Before I Wake thing is this was a it's funny there's a story that Wells likes to tell about this movie where he was trying to get the money to produce his finish producing his play Around the World in 80 Days which apparently the costumes and sets were like I mean he, he was drowning bleeding cash on everything so he needed 50 grand so he said he was on the phone with the producer and he's like he he was like uh trying to figure out a way to get this money from him and just looked according to Wells looked at a novel stand saw this book and and picked it up and looked at it and said yeah uh I'm going to do this movie about this this and this I need $50,000 to get paid to do it <laughs> <laughs> which is exactly the amount I needed other people have declared that's a that's just Wells being character that's not what happened at all that's, that's but, Wells being awesome yeah <laughs> but uh the story is Wells plays Irish sailor Michael O'Hara with the worst Irish accent of all time. No, it's actually not bad. It's it like depends. It like depends which bit of Ireland it's from. It's pretty bad. It's uh, no, I've done some, like I don't know if people it's like, like sound a bit like it's the they, faintest attempt at an Irish accent. But he's he's supposed to be you know. That's the thing. You're never quite sure exactly where he's from. Yeah, and he has travelled, and that's a core part of what comes out across the film. This is forty-seven, where. People have spent the last two decades generally floating around the world. Right. Like, he talks about he was in Spain fighting Franco, and he was in a few other locations. And this is, you know, this guy that's just kind of drifted around the world. So, yeah, I can understand why his, why his accent would be he's like... He's a very oh. film noir protagonist. Yes. So, you know, the guy who, yeah, he's a drifter, the very definition of it. And he's in the park, and he comes across Rita, uh, played... Uh, playing Elsa in a horse-drawn coach. They have a meet-cute, and then they have a meet-save, where she's being set upon by thugs, and he jumps in there and and, uh, gives them some fisticuffs. (laughs) And you you buy Orson Welles as a guy who could kick the shit out of you as well. You do. He was a solid lad back then. He really was, before he became considerably more fluffy. Before he was selling peas. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, She finds out afterwards, uh, afterwards he finds out that uh, she and her husband, who's a a uh, crippled criminal defense attorney have just gotten to New York from Shanghai. They're on their way to San Francisco. Uh, Michael is totally hot for Elsa and doesn't really seem to care that she's married that much, but he agrees to sign on as a seaman aboard the yacht. <laughs> and this yacht is where everything starts to get really weird. Um, he's It's funny that he's so, like, you know, kind of fuck these people the whole time. It's very sort of about, to some degree, there's this undercurrent of, like, the disgusting divide between the rich and the and the poor that he constantly seems to need to like you people have no point to your lives yeah. you just sit he, around getting drunk he has something akin to a conscience he's not actually yeah. a conscience right and even like the first time elsa like is like tries to kiss him he slaps her yeah. out of instinct 
Like, because she's married. Yeah. <laughs> it must be the Irish Catholic in him, I guess. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, but that doesn't last long uh, as they, you know, end up sort of hooking up anyway. But a new guy on the boat, George Grisby, who joins, who's the uh, her husband Bannister's partner, proposes that Michael murder him in a plot that where it would be faking his own death. Uh, now, this being a film noir... Clearly, everything is not exactly how it seems. Yeah. And honestly, we're at that point that you can't say much more about the plot without starting to pull on the strings that will, let, that will reveal all the stuff. This plot is actually so dense that it's even watching the movie, it's hard to exactly understand everything that worked out. But the nice thing is this is one that withstands multiple watching. It does. This is, you know, you, you throw the term classic around and influential. This is undoubted. This is, there's so many films that clearly homage it or reference it or couldn't have existed without it the way it changes cinema yeah uh, I, I mean it, it, this is kind of uh velvet the velvet underground's banana album which is you know only you know only a thousand people bought it but they all went off to, <laughs> to form bands um yeah there's um uh hitchcock said that pretty much his output in the 50s owed more to this movie than anything else uh, the french new wave yeah, the there's, French. So, so, I mean, there's a couple of French New Wave films which are clearly referencing what happens here. Uh, there Even, is an Enter the Dragon. Well, that's Enter and, the Dragon as well. And it's funny that whole sequence, the big, very unforgettable climactic sequence, which takes place in a circus funhouse, you know, with all the mirror room and everything. Uh, that whole sequence admittedly borrowed from Hitchcock itself from the movie Spellbound yeah. which had a whole film by Salvador Dali surreal thing but that it was the, this film and that's this version of it that went on to influence probably a hundred other films yeah <laughs> you know that it's and it's really unforgettable and it's such a shame that we no longer have Orson Welles original cut of it it just doesn't exist he was apparently furious this is one of those films the producer came in and cut it to pieces and the, including that the scene. That happened an alarmingly large amount of the time. Yeah. Uh, and he was especially furious about th this ending sequence, which he thought was perfect. And the producer re-edited it much to well chagrin. And yet it's still really beautiful. And there's, he, he did a really interesting thing with the sound on this. Because it's very clear the whole thing is ADR'd afterwards. Right. And it has this weird, slightly disconnected feel that that is incredibly effective. It's, you know, it's, I think it's one of the, it's one of the best mixed films of the era as well. Yeah. Just there's nothing about this that, that you know, you shouldn't, <laughs> you shouldn't watch it for. Um, you know, it is, it is, you know, it, it is a super dense noir. It is one of the best. It is. It's weird, and that's cool. Yeah. It's a weird noir. It does it stands out from the others? It's not like any of the others of the time. And it will throw you curveballs. It never feels like, like it has to explain. The entire final sequence is set in um, San Francisco, and you've had you, you've heard that Rita Hayworth has spent some time in Shanghai. But there's this moment where they where she's walking through Chinatown, and everybody knows her, and everybody talks to her, and she talks. She speaks perfect mandarin right and she just know and you've like you've never had a reference to this before but there's a moment where you go i don't know who this woman is and i spent time in and, you know we, we've watched her for the entire film this film can just do that uh you know it just proves how good wells was and how you know tragically sad it is that he couldn't get more of his projects made but that 
everything he did get finished, even if it is in the bastardized form, you really need to see it. This is a must. This is a must watch. Uh, and I would call this my pick of the week if it wasn't for the fact that it was so bare bones that it's just the film. It is. It, this is a, this is a competitive week. There's a couple of other things in here that I'm I'm very much uh, yeah. Uh, another film, I guess we're going to go forward in time today mm-hmm. from the past, because our next film is going to be The Wild One, which is the movie that created pretty much the biker movement. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is Marlon Brando in one of his earliest just career-defining roles uh, in 1953, playing the sullen motorcycle gang leader. Yeah. Uh, whose style has been copied so many times that even in Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, they exactly copied it for the way that Shia LaBeouf looked yeah. at one point. You're like, oh, well, that's Marlon Brando and the wild one. It's, it's, it's tendrils reach far enough to make a crappy Indiana Jones film. <laughs> if you like the band Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, yeah. this name is where is, the name comes this from. This is where the name comes from. But, uh, it's a pretty simple story that, uh, uh, Marlon Brando plays Johnny Strabler, who is just like all the other... I mean, he is so clearly the alpha male, he doesn't even need to utter any dialogue in the film, which he doesn't for a while. Yeah. Because everyone's like, hey, Johnny, what do you, what do you like of this? Do you, do, do you like this? Do you want to do this? What do you want, Johnny? Johnny, you're awesome. <laughs> it's like, these are the lamest biker toadies in the world. <laughs> not one of you is even mildly tough. Uh, it's not till a little later where we see the leader of like... a. a a rival gang that used to be part of that gang, uh, played by a very almost disturbingly young Lee Marvin, where you're like, oh, there's the other tough guy. Yeah. Who even st- still, even when he's trying to beat him up, is going, I love you, I love you so much. Yeah. To Johnny. It's, it's kind of awkward. Anyway, uh, they end up going to this small town and just sort of moving in for a while. Uh, which the town at first is like a mixed feeling. Some of them are happy about it. Hey, we're going to sell a bunch of beer. Awesome. But as the bikers get drunk, things start to get a little chaotic. Things get a little bit out of hand. And then the town itself, the side that wasn't happy in the first place over there, decide to start getting violent. They're the ones who start being violent, even though, to be honest, it's somewhat well-deserved at this point. They deserve, these bikers deserve to get their butts kicked a bit. Yeah. They're acting like really nif- like They're mischievous kind children. kind of unpleasant, and this really sets the precedent for, in biker movies later, you know, the bikers, you, know, you kind of go, well, okay, the people around you are pretty horrible, but you're dicks as well. Yeah. They're very, you know, sexually harassy and grabby towards towards the women. Oh, yeah. They will ride their bike into, into, uh, into bars. You know, if there's an accident, they blame everybody else. Yeah. But the interesting thing about this is it's set at the point where clearly... A lot of the people in the gang, as was what the situation at the time, are World War Two veterans who yes. came back and go off and do this. So there's a certain sense of like they're they're a lot of these characters are a little bit damaged. Yeah, um, it is really fascinating watching the birth of the the sensitive tough guy. Yeah, this is one of the first films that really does that. And the line, the fame, one of the most famous lines in movie history, which was not actually spoken by Marlon Brando in the film, but spoken by somebody else saying that Marlon Brando had said at some point with a, what are you rebelling against? What do you got? Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's, uh, this is a, it, it's a seminal film. Is it great? This is the big question. I think it's good. I, I, I think it's really interesting. I think it's it gets really a, good. It it's pretty schmaltzy in places. Though. Well, yeah, and but it, it doesn't quite know how to. Balance that's a quality that's almost in 
you know, inherent in the time and the type of movie that they were even trying to make at this point, which was definitely not a serious for all audiences type of film. This was a second reeler. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, it's better than it, much better than oh, it had yes. any right to be. Yeah. Because it genuinely is a pretty good film. There's points where its datedness actually hurts it, like sequences where you're not really, you're not really supposed to hate these bikers. It's not like in the Wild Angels where they're like, should all be shot. <laughs> <laughs> no, these guys, I mean, they're really confused. I mean, Brando's the ultimate symbol for all of them. As they keep pointing out, he doesn't even know what he wants. Yeah. You know, he's just disaffected and dissatisfied and angry, and he do- has no idea where to direct it. Um, but they, there's points where it's clear these guys do have a heart, but then they do things like them, like almost, you know, like really terrifyingly circling a young girl and taunting her. And you're like, this is not cute. No, this is not appropriate. <laughs> this is wrong. This um, is wrong. But it's Lee got Marvin. I gotta, I gotta, so I gotta, let's go with Lee Marvin for a moment because yeah. he is. This is the moment where you go, yeah. It, it's almost like you see see where both of them are going to go because, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's so good. The big this. fat man is going to become the big fat man eventually. You can see that. Yes. Yeah, that that baby fat is just going to become blubberiness and kind of the the standoffishness. You know, he doesn't push himself in the same way that he does in something like The Man with the Golden Arm. I mean, this is a sure. This is a very different performance. But Lee Marvin, there's just this craziness that the camera can barely withstand. Yep. This is this is an amazing performance. And he's wildly. not in it very long, and you're like, no, he's the wild one. This guy is unpredictable. Yeah. Whereas this guy is, is really the one that you, you do not want coming into your town because he really probably doesn't mind if the FBI chase him. At the same time, he doesn't have any subtlety to no. him at all. Whereas, like, there's a nuance and subtlety to Johnny yeah. that is actually really interesting. He's one of those people who's quiet and proud and strong, and you do want to know more about them. And he Brando's performance is remarkable in that in the simplest of, like, glances – a huge amount is said. Yeah. There's a wonderful ending to this thing, a little coda that has that he doesn't even say a word for like five minutes, yeah. and it says more in that sequence about him than anything else in the entire rest of the film. But then in later years, he did the same thing, but that's just because he was lazy. <laughs> True, he's like, "Fuck you, I'm the actor. Doesn't need to rem- remember a script. I'm, just gonna- <laughs> I'm not even going to uh, read the script. I'm just uh, going to talk about snails." <laughs> All right. So Again, this a bare is, bones release, but you know, uh, I, you know, this is one of these ones you really actually—it's a have classic. To see. Yeah, it's a classic it, for a good reason. Yeah, it it changes cinema. Yep. Agreed. Um, all right. So I guess we're moving up in time again. So we're moving on up. Talk about a '90s film. Sorry, bit of a jump. Bit of a jump uh, here called um, Oh My Girl. My girl. All right. So this is one of these movies that <clears throat> excuse me, I always heard about. Always had people, you know, I mean, everybody knew this movie. It's not one of those films you like, went, oh, I never heard of that. Yeah, it yeah. was a big film when it came out. I just never got around to seeing it because I was like, oh, I don't want to see this little child drama thing. Oh, how wrong is, you were. And this is a 1991 absolutely charming piece about, like, these kids growing up during the Nixon era who are, like, just fascinating little kids who, and the sort of the beginning of like first love and like this very complex little girl, uh, played by Anna Chlumsky, who you, you know, you just don't realize that, you know, she's on the show Veep now and been nominated for an Emmy twice for her performance on there. But, uh, she's just, she's this fascinating tomboy of a character who's got so many levels to her because she's grown up with her father, played by Dan Aykroyd, in a funeral parlor that her father runs, and her mom died giving birth to her. 
so she's got this weird, like, obsession with death. I guess it's not weird considering the circumstances, but it's weird feeling in the film to some extent. Even though she's everything else she does in her life is just she's just bursting with life and energy and ideas and joy. And any movie that starts off like this, you're like, uh oh, somebody is going to die at the end of this film. <laughs> and this is the one thing I took away from people talking about. It's like, oh, you are going to cry your eyes out when you get to the end. And sure enough. Like, I'm pretty jaded, and I still was, like, tearing up. I needed a tissue when I got to the end of this movie. I was like, oh, man, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, Jamie Lee Curtis plays Shelley DeVoto, the new girl who's come into their life to be a makeup artist for the dead in this parlor, mm -hmm. who, of course, very quickly into it starts forming an attachment, a romantic attachment to Dan Aykroyd's character. <clears throat> Uh, Macaulay Culkin is uh, the best friend, uh, and and like kind of a if anything I'll say in this film, kind of the the one one note performance in the movie. He's yeah. kind of said to just kind of look, just kind of react to what uh, he's Anna not Chomsky given a lot of space in a lot of ways because Klumsky's no. uh, great in this. Yeah, for a child performance it's about about a a kid who is obsessed with death, um, who has to bounce off of a, you know, some pretty, she's really acting with adults all the way through. And it's about a, a you know, a young girl who is not yet a teenager. She is completely submerged in a world of adults. This could have been just kind of like a, you know, yeah. movie of the Saccharin. week. And it's surprisingly well written. It's, yeah. You know, it's one of the first really impressive, dramatic Dan Aykroyd performances. This yes. is one of the ones where he really starts to establish himself as an actor. I can do um, things besides just comedy. And he's really great in this. You know, he, he, the kind of delicate romance between him and Jamie Lee Curtis is, is beautifully put together. Uh, a weird performance by Griffin Dunn, who turns up as a poetry teacher. Um, yeah, but this is a cross, but a necessary this is, one. Yeah, this is, this is, you know, the life of one child across a summer. Yeah. Um, and... and in the canon of 90s kind of weird tragic comedies this is actually one of rightfully so up in the upper, upper ranks and actually I think it survived very well and lasted very well I and mean, you go back and watch you know a lot of the 80s 90s stuff does not last particularly well yeah. and I think this has actually almost got better over time because you're kind of removed from the the fact that they're it was everywhere and it was like the cute film of the year and you get to go back and appreciate it now and go no this is actually it was an excellent buildings roman it's, it's kind of a you know slightly more family friendly harold Maud almost yeah, exactly. i mean this is this is you know it, it's got an edge of, of of darkness and sadness to it that really is is very impressively pulled off and again a fairly bare bones release but if you've never seen it and you'd only heard of it and you go, oh, no, I mean, it's just like a silly kids movie. Yeah. This is actually a surprisingly strong film. Yeah, you, I, I can't imagine, except for the most angry and no, I refuse to feel anything type of people not being able to feel something from this movie. It really does get under your skin. The strength of the performances, the strength of the writing. Um you don't usually see coming of age films about somebody who's like 11 so much like this and certainly not about woman as much. Yeah. You know, usually you'll see like if it's a film about a woman, it's usually some, you know, she's maybe uh, just after high school or something. This yeah. is a, a kind of unusual that she is, that it's a woman who's the focus of this. And it's the strength of Chlumsky's performance that drives this movie and makes how you old, really care about her. How old was she when she made this? I mean, she's just a kid. 
Just a oh. tiny little kid. Yeah, and it's she gets what this material is, which is really surprising because this is, you know, there's a lot of, of much older actors would be drowning in this, not really get how to do it. And she delivers, there's a couple of speeches that if you, if it doesn't get you, you know, in the, in the, the tear glands, there is something wrong with you. There's a film called Accepted, which you may have seen with Justin Long, where uh, apparently he says one of the things he can't do is not cry at the end of My Girl. And I'm right there with you, Justin Long. Yeah. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently the sequel, they, they actually made a My Girl 2 in the list of most unlikely films to make a sequel to. And uh, it's not supposed to be as great. It's, no, it's nowhere near as good. I think, again, it'd be interesting to go back and rewatch it kind of removed from the time and see if it's actually withstood anything uh, at all. Because, you know, doesn't always. Doesn't always. Fair enough. All right, so we're up to modern day, so we're just going to have to, at this point, pick and choose. So I'm going to start off with seeing one I got to see you did not get to see. Was, did I did I dodge a bullet? You did dodge a bullet. This oh. is a uh, brand new film called Vice, and you should know that you should dodge a bullet because the cover has two people on it. It has Bruce Willis on one side, and it has Thomas Jane on the other. Thomas Jane in a bad wig, seemingly. And it, yes, and it was direct-to-DVD, so there you go. Oh. Bruce Willis, who apparently has reached that point of his career, where I, I, I have a hard time believing that he's not not offered good roles for stuff. I have a hard time believing that because he actually can be a very good actor when he puts in the mildest amount of effort into it. Wes Anderson. You know? Anytime he's near Wes Anderson. Yeah. It's like, you're like, we know you can act. Your l- career of late is like just you being, I don't give a shit. I'm just here because I'm getting paid. And this yeah. is one of those movies where I don't give a shit. I'm just here to get paid. Whereas Thomas, poor Thomas Jane, who actually I think is a good actor, is doing his best in this really poorly written was that mess abys- of genre. What was that abysmal elements. thing he was in recently with Sylvester Stallone, like 10,000 other people? The, the inexplicably bad one. I don't even remember. Oh, it was terrible. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was like our worst movie of the year. Yeah, and it was like everybody's in it for no readily apparent reason, and he plays a cop who thinks he's a cowboy, and like, why? Well, Who did you owe money to, Thomas J? What are you doing in this movie that you have nothing to do with? There's no reason for you to be here. Anyway, in this film, he's playing a cop (laughs) who's kind of a cowboy, once again. Uh, But the story follows uh, Julian Michaels, who's played by Bruce Willis, who's in this movie as little as he could possibly get get away with being where he's the evil villain who runs this the ultimate resort called vice which is this place that's west world the only difference being the robots all have much more distinct personalities and believe that they're human they totally think oh. they're human. And they just, at the end of each day, they just fix them if they need fixing and reboot their memory. So every day goes back to it. Our primary character, uh, play, played by uh, Amber Childers, who pl- is Kelly, like, we see her wake up with her best friend, and they're like, this is our last day, and then we got to go out in the world, and we're going to go to school, and we're going to do all this great stuff. And they start every day that way. Aww. And have been for a while. I mean, that's, you know, it's a spoiler, but you find out 15 minutes into the film that that's the case, because you can't talk about this movie without making that clear. Point being is that uh, in this place where you can do anything, people can go in there and uh, slaughter the the residents they can fuck them and cut their heads off and that's fine that's all part of the game you're totally allowed to do that um, because they're the just worst robots. holiday ever right Thomas Jane hates the place because he's like look I live in the city outside that didn't used to have a, cr- a lot of crime and now it has a lot of violent crime and I believe it's because people come out of that place they get a taste of blood and they want more 
and they can't stop themselves anymore. Which, when you think about it, this whole thing is actually kind of an angry missive pointed at video games that's a bunch of bullshit, but still. <laughs> uh, anyway, Amber one day after being rebooted, suddenly starts flashing back and remembering all the horrible shit that's happened to her, which is not supposed to happen at all. And she ends up escaping from the complex where everybody, where Bruce Willis sends out all his mercenaries that you've got to get her out. What if she kills somebody on the outside? You know, but she's not violent at all. She just thinks she's a girl and she transforms from a mildly interesting actress to the most bland actress I've seen on screen in like a year. We're like, you're not playing the Terminator. Okay, like she when she thought she was human, she's all playing pretty normal role, not anything remarkable, but okay, believable. And then the moment she finds out she's a robot, she starts acting like a robot. You're like, no, <laughs> that's a real shame because she's Amber Child is really good on uh, we are what in, we are what we are. Yeah, and here and she, she's also in Ray Donovan, which I know you, I've never watched, but I know I you've got it. a lot of a lot of time. Totally for. banal performance here, but a lot of it is that when you look at the actual, it's one of those films you have to close your eyes and just listen to the actual words these people have been written down for them to say. <laughs> And go, that's fucking awful. Who wrote this? It is such poor dialogue. And ultimately, it's trying to rip off so much better science fiction than what it is. You know, it's just, I don't know. It's just nonsense. It's a shame. It's of all these type of directed DVD Bruce Willis movies, it's probably the most watchable of them because it's got some fun, silly sci-fi stuff. That, Or at least it's got some silly sci-fi stuff that could have been fun. And you watch it with sort of a imagining where cooler places this movie could have gone, you know, but it just doesn't go there. It never, it doesn't just, look cheap. That's what I'm wondering about. Um, most of this film does not take place in Vice, so the rest of it is just in a, you know, Detroit, basically. <laughs> you know? That's, just, that's just sad. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. Anyway, that's Vice. Really, honestly, I know what you're thinking. Oh, that sounds reach like me. That was the like. terrible film. Reach me. Reach yeah. me. That was the like. It, oh yeah. If you want to see the worst film, I think we saw last year. Yeah, that was probably reach it. me. Uh, this is. I know this sounds like it could be something you like, despite being a director video when you're at your red box. Don't do it, man. Don't do so it. I'm saying, don't, don't do, do it. it. And Thomas Jane, come on. I love you. I know you can take better roles than this. Thomas, we miss you. All right, now for one you got to see, I didn't get to see, and oh. that is the, the last performance of uh, the what's her name, uh, Brittany Murphy. Brittany Murphy, and uh, oh. film back in. How did this film like? It was her last performance, which had to be in two thousand nine or earlier, and this is just now coming out, or like or late last year. Something wicked. This is so bad. <laughs> you remember how I how I said that. The worst, yeah, one of the worst things I saw, well, actually would have been this year so far, was the uh, the terrible Lifetime uh, Britney Murphy biopic. It was pretty bad. That I I actually was was pretty angry. And don't was worry, released. I, well, they're sending us the Whitney one, so don't. Oh, worry. Christmas. Um, <laughs> I'm actually slightly angrier about about this uh, than the I, movie about her life. Yeah this wow. this is this is. Um, I have a funny feeling from the way this thing is put together that they had some footage. Uh-huh. Then she died and they tried to build a film and probably had to rewrite the script completely because she was supposed to have a different type of art. Um, this is abysmal. This is one of the worst horror films I've ever seen. All right, so what's it about? Oh God, I don't know. What? I can't tell. This is the, <laughs> like, it is, Utterly incoherent. You remember, like in the in the nineties, there were movies like you know 
Cherry Falls that were... They were okay horrors, but they really would, like... We're going to lard so many twists and turns on on here that, like, you can't really tell what's going on. And, oh, look, the person you thought was a bad guy is dead and a good guy. This does that, like, every 20 seconds. Uh, it starts... You're making me want to watch it. Oh, it's kind of, it's kind of fascinatingly bad because it is, it is borderline incoherent. Um, there's a... This, uh, you know... Girl, uh, played by Chantal Van, uh, Van Santen, who I don't think we've ever heard of since, uh, and her fiancé, played by John Robinson, who, again, I don't think we've ever heard of since. And they go out for dinner with her parents, and he's gonna, he asked for the, their permission to marry her, and they say no, because you work at a factory and she's getting a degree. Do people still do that? And my first thought was, so at least he's got a paying job. Right. Um, Which is more than you can say necessarily for someone getting a degree. Oh, I'm getting my degree in poetry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good luck in the factory. Yeah. <laughs> um, and on the way back from dinner, where it turns out that her parents are completely abysmal, uh, their car gets hit by a train, and then they're in comas, and they wake up, and the parents are dead, and then they go off in a relationship, but then they're staying with her family and... Brittany Murphy is, uh, I think it's, like, this is, this is how bad and complicated this film is. I came out of it going, I'm not sure who's related to who. Okay. Or why anybody does any of the stuff they want. Okay. That they're doing. Or who is supposed to be the bad guy. Or what their motivation for being the bad guy is. And I was sat there and going, I'm not stupid, but this film is making me feel dumb. And, like, maybe I'm concussed or something. <laughs> you know, it really felt like there were points where I must have... I, uh, that I'd forgotten walking away for ten minutes and there'd been some exposition and I come back. You felt like that at Like, you... People die randomly and then you go, oh, they go, oh, it was part of the plot. It's like... No, it seems like you just had an outtake from a Final Destination film. So is there supposed to be an v- actual villain here the, killing there people? There is. But it's not really clear why until right at the end. And then you go, but that doesn't explain why they killed that person, that person, that person, that person. None of this makes sense. This is this is an incoherent mess. It is inexcusably bad. And the fact that this is Brittany Murphy's final performance, just really... This is one of these ones where you just go, you didn't have to. Maybe you, you should know? And there's a reason. The that, it really feels like there was a good reason why this sat on the shelf for... Five years. Yeah. Like this is, you know, I, I don't want to remember Brittany Murphy this way. I want to remember her as, you know, a, you know, a really funny and talented actress who could deliver lines then with a kind of, you know, just adorable quirkiness uh, and had some real potential and, and just really didn't didn't ever quite go anywhere. It just that actress uh, Chantel Van Santen was actually in uh, the, the Final, Final Destination. Destination so. Oh dear, that that makes sense. No, this is it like. Nothing, nothing about this indicates that five years after it was obviously partially completed, they were actually going to come back. And I'm pretty sure from the from the look of parts of it um, that they they just went back and went, oh, who's who's still around? Can he come in and do some do some shoots? Like nothing about this. It, it's utterly incoherent. It's this is a real clusterfuck of a film. All right, so skip it. Yep. All right now, a little on the. I'm not sure exactly. Side for a film I saw that you didn't is Son of a Gun. This is an Australian crime thriller uh, that it stars has a great cast: Brenton Thwaites, Ewan McGregor, and Alicia Vikander. So you're like, wow, that's an interesting cast. The Australian film has been doing some interesting things lately. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, this is one of those films I remember seeing the trailer and going, huh, that looks like it could be pretty good. 
And I can't go so far as to say it's not kind of good, but oh boy, is there some misunderstandings to what your audience is willing to swallow and what they're not <laughs> as we go along the way. The story follows 19-year-old J.R., played by Brenton Thwaites, who has ended up in a Australian prison for just a six-months uh, time for some minor crime that never clear exactly what it is. Uh, during his time, he tries to stand up for his cellmate, who is clearly being bullied and raped repeatedly by some other tough inmates, and ends up kind of half-acidly being taken under the wing of Ewan McGregor, who is definitely the top dog in this prison. Even these other guys who are tough, when he says something, they're like, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> you know, not that he's half the size of these guys, but he's got force of personality. Yeah. Clearly, he's one of those people you're like, he's very tied into the world of crime and is very respected and nobody wants to fuck with him. Uh, so anyway, he says to this kid at one point, he's like, look, these guys are going to come for you, I promise you. And I will save you, but you can't do things by half measures. It's like in chess, a metaphor which the film never stops beating you over the head with. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you have to do things, some types of uh, of uh, moves you have to go all in. Um, like he references apparently one of the most famous chess games of all time was one when one of the players made this move that apparently is one of the rare first moves you can make that there's only one way you can play the rest of the game after that. Like he invented the strategy with that of this improbable first move that leads to like just there's one direction. You're all in at that point. You can't change your game after that. That's how you're going to play. Uh, and he says, look, I'm going to have to kill these guys. There's no other way because otherwise they're just going to keep coming. But if you want me to do this, well, after you get out in six months, you're going to owe me a big favor. You're going to have to work for me on the outside. And kid sort of agrees, but it happens anyway. <laughs> so then flash to, okay, he gets out, is immediately put up by this Russian crime boss that worked with him in this luxurious beachside apartment. Like, like you do. Like, like, what the fuck? Seriously? Where there's, like, beautiful woman swimming and, like, like a moat around it. And, uh, like, just, like, what is happening here? Why? Who would get this sort of treatment after that? And, um, the what are you supposed to do is break him out of jail. How this kid is supposed to be responsible for masterminding a, like, you know, a prison jailbreak, stealing a helicopter and holding the helicopter hostage, hostage pilot. Okay. Here's the first of the, yeah, I don't think that would work, <laughs> but nonetheless, the there, first of many, I'm presuming. Yeah, there yeah. you are. And Ewan and his buddies get out and they're like, okay, you're with us now, kid. And everything should be one of those, like almost a good fellas type story. The new kid coming into the gang, which it, feels like it might it might have gone that way if it wasn't in fact this kid is so stupid <laughs> that when he meets like the favorite basically hooker of the main crime boss played by Alicia Vikander he's immediately head smitten with her and insists they have to be together even though everyone including her is telling him that guy's going to kill you if you so much as look at me yeah you know uh, but that doesn't stop him because he's 19 years old and he thinks with his dick and everyone's trying to be nice but no and I think one of the, my biggest problem with this movie is that we're supposed to have sympathy for him in the first half in this scenario and go, what are you fucking crazy? <laughs> you, you were, you're already in a path to become a career criminal. You got, hey, dropped in the lap of this like, oh wow, you've been, you know, shoved way up the ladder working with like side by side with one of the, the criminal greats. 
you know, sometimes you play the hand you're dealt. Yes. <laughs> Instead of like going off, fucking it all up and possibly your life and someone else's for some trim, as Ian McGregor puts it. Oh. Uh, now, all that being said, uh, there is a lot of tension throughout here. Things aren't always as they seem, which means you're also dealing with kind of a con film. Multiple people conning each other, and then at the end, whoa, guess what? Somebody else was running a con the whole time. Oh, no. Uh, and like I said, it's hard to swallow, but the performances are really good throughout this. It's very well shot. There's some really thrilling action sequences, and ultimately, Son of a Gun is one of those movies I kind of recommend. Yeah. You go, all right, it's a fun watch for sort of like, you know what, fuck it. I feel like watching this kind of movie, it's nothing that's going to change your life, but... Hey, there's it's, more it's than... no Animal Kingdom. No, it's no. no Animal. Which actually, I'm not crazy about Animal Kingdom. Really? Yeah, ah. it's just. Uh, I think performances are good, but whatever. I was a little bored with it. You ever see Snowtown? Mm, maybe, but I really like that one. That's the one about the uh, uh, community that ends up turning on the uh, on the uh, the pederast, and it's really oh, okay. unpleasant based on a true story. Oh, fair Very enough. Very fascinating kind of, you know. Oh, I didn't even mention about the wild one that that was based on a true story. It is. Uh, although apparently one of those ones where the media completely, like, made up a bunch of shit and took photos and pretended stuff was going on that it wasn't. Because in truth, a couple guys got arrested, these motorcyclists, when they were, like, urinating in public and one of them, like, broke a beer bottle against the side of a wall and that was about it. Yeah. But America freaked out! Wasn't it, wasn't it a life cover story, I think? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, they were the ones who did it, who made all this manipulative photo imagery of the of the scenario to make it seem like it was worse than what it actually was. Anyway, moving on to our final film that we actually saw this week. <laughs> and I think I'm going to, I'm going to call this now i'm actually going to say this is my pick of the week this is mine too this is the 2014 chris rock uh directed and starring film top five that is much better than anybody could have possibly predicted yeah who knew <laughs> that chris rock making a film about how tough it is to be a successful uh actor who's trying to get away from his comedy career would actually turn out something that wasn't just you know a derivative knockoff cheapo woody allen right but instead is smart, abrasive, intelligent, moving in places. Well, there's no question that Chris Rock took a look at his career and the type of films he was being handed to do that were not real popular with critics, not that real popular with audiences, and uh, started looking at what other his other contemporaries were doing, like Louis C.K. and Mark Maron and people like that, and going, maybe I should be doing something that's more personal. Yeah. And, but... Whereas this is not a copy of what those guys were doing, this is feels much more personal for Chris Rock. Yeah. It's that same type of like, let's tell a story that's actually that that feels true about me and people like me and people that I know, but not really the reality of it. This is like when Steve Martin did LA stories. Yeah. Exactly. And you're just going, this This is somebody who's really got something impressive to say. Uh, but you, I actually already did a theatrical review for this one, so you go ahead and... and, and uh, yeah, I mean, going. basically, the, this, the, the plot is that Chris Rock plays a Chris Rock-esque figure called Andre Allen, uh, who... He's trying to move from being the guy who makes uh, the Hammy the Bear <laughs> franchise in which he is a guy in a, a cop in a in a bear suit who who gets into terrible action sequences it's it's kind of a um a, a, it's almost a, an homage to what uh, tracy jordan's uh, uh right that that one on 30 rock yeah what was his it? uh is it fat bitch 
Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in which he plays a, a dog. Um, and, you know, it, it's kind of clearly homaging that in, in kind of a fun way. Uh, and Tracy Morgan turns up in this, as does pretty much every other comedian worth their salt. Oh, at some there, point there's a lot of his friends, Chris Rock's friends, who are like, yeah, I'll help you out with this. Uh, most notably, the sequence with uh, Jerry Seinfeld, Adam Sandler, and Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, in a, in a strip in joint. In a strip joint that is really one of the centerpieces of laughter in this film. J.B. Uh, Smooth, Rachel Feinstein, uh, Kevin Hart. People who turn up and it's like, oh, it's 20 seconds of them just being them. Yeah. But it's so good. It, it's, so well it, handled. At its worst and weakest are... All right, so we'll, let me just say here, it's constructed with lots of flashbacks. Yes. As he, who is a recovering alcoholic, meets up with Gabriel Union, who is a journalist who's a recovering alcoholic. No, 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 no. It's Rosario Dawson. Huh? Or, I'm sorry, you're right, Rosario Dawson. Rosario Dawson. Gabriel yeah, yeah. Union plays, yeah, yeah. plays, plays his, his fiancé, fiance. who is on an e-reality show. Right, who's very, who is shallow, but then later the film's smart enough to give her more than that. So yeah. it's like, oh, I didn't see that coming. But uh, a lot of this is Dawson and Chris Rock walking around, talking about their past and how they got to where they are. Or mainly Chris Rock talking about how he got to where he was. And there's a sequence that doesn't really work in here with Cedric the Entertainer that feels like every Cedric the Entertainer performance in a movie ever. <laughs> I'm like, okay. But it's kind of, it's, 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 it's almost rock bottom story. It's, it's them, I think still works. It's them doing Spring Breakers yeah. for a second. You know, I'm like, ah. Uh, mm. But it's, it's, it's I, I kind of like that moment because it's, you know, it is him going, Wow, this is when I bottomed out. This is why yeah. I decided to get sober. And it's Chris Rock at this weirdly fragile moment. And I really wonder how true that story is. Because there's some stuff in here that you feel like this is drawn from personal experience at some level. Yeah. Um, what really makes this work is that Rock is this kind of spiky, prickly guy who has his, you know, built his reputation talking about the African American experience. And now culture has changed yeah and he has changed and like he's not that guy anymore and he's trying to find his place and there's a wonderful early moment where where he goes you know no matter what changes this is still new york black guy trying to get a cap and <laughs> it he it, there's a beautiful payoff to that where you go oh the you know the world that Chris Rock came up in working in the nineties and early two thousands as a comedian the, the Chris Rock of bigger and blacker right he's changed the world around him has definitely changed and he's acknowledging that and I think you know the sparks between him and Rosario Dawson as the journalist are genuine really the their material which really carries the film works incredibly you, al I, you almost feel like there's going to be an announcement shortly afterwards that the two of them got together because yeah. the sparks the chemistry is so strong between them in this movie yeah I mean this is. Uh, Trent, uh, 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 Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, kind of like just, just easy. Maybe the first time I've ever seen Chris Rock play a role with dramatic elements that I believed him in yeah. that role. Yeah, you know, I think he's an incredibly talented comedian and writer, but never before now has he ever done anything where we were supposed to take him seriously that I believed in yeah. his character. The, uh, this just works. Yeah, there's something, and, and Gabrielle Union when she has a, I mean, the, this is the thing he t he put he touches on so many things that this could have been just scattershot. Well, that's the thing, is but that he that he that he talks about, you know, the experience of to a certain degree. That yes, this is about the experience of being an African American celebrity, where you you know if you get to a certain point and avoiding e and avoiding hanging out with rappers, but then. You know, when he's in the club with some in the club with some of the nerdiest Jewish comedians of all time, <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld 
listing his favorite rappers and making it rain on the strippers in the club is one of these moments where you go, this is just surreal. But you know this shit happens. Of course it you does. You know, like, this, this is like, you know, it's very open. It's very honest about the experience, about dealing with celebrity culture. And I think Rock just, this is, it just he just nails it. And I think the first two thirds of this are a good movie that you're just waiting for it to not stick the landing. Yeah. You're waiting for it to go, okay, and it's going to get really goofy and everything is going to stay. The characters that are a little shallow on the outside are going to stay shallow and, and, and have a big goofy humiliation set piece towards the end. And then that's not the kind of movie it is at all. It's a lot more thoughtful than that. It's a lot more deep than that. It's a lot more understanding of who these characters are than that. And you end up with what is a genuinely solid little film. And I've got to say, like I said before, uh, you know, this is like uh, Ally's story. Yeah. This is this is this is his Steve Martin putting the jerk behind him. You know, not running away from it, but saying, I have evolved as a, an artist, as a creator, and as an actor, and I think this is really, you know... Unless- I, I, want to, I want to see Chris Rock do... You know, I was terrified when I said, oh, Chris Rock is doing a movie! And I'm like, I want to see Chris Rock direct more. And that is my first thing. Let's hope this. this is not his Will Ferrell's Stranger Than Fiction, where he does the one really thoughtful, incredible film using his comedy in a different way and then goes back to doing the same old shit he's always done. No, I think this is... The, you know, the, 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 his career trajectory and where he's been going for the past few years... I think this is him going, no, I, you know, I, I want to work from home and I want to be able to pull off something impressive. And I think there is, a, you know, there's always a need for the comedian who's going to make smart social points. Yes. You know, Woody Allen did that for the longest time before he became horribly self-indulgent. Yeah. Um, you know, Steve Martin still does that erratically. True. Uh, I think this this really puts this puts Chris Rock in a position to be the guy that makes those films. Agreed. Uh, this also comes to audio commentary from Chris Rock and actor J.B. Smoove. Uh, there's a 20-minute cast and crew piece with Chris Rock where they kind of examine the bits of realism in the movie in terms of his roots with stand-up, and there's a lot of clips from his early career. There's a 10-minute uh, making of with behind-the-scenes stuff, and then there's two different things called Top 5, da 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 which are like just outtakes from the film, basically. So, And then uh, a few deleted scenes as well. This altogether, pretty damn good package. If you saw this film already, this makes it even that much more worth owning for what they add to it. Yeah. And if you haven't seen it, well, for Christ's sakes, go see it. All right, our last thing today, and we did not get a chance to see this, mainly because South by Southwest was in the way. There was just no time <laughs> to watch an entire television series right now. And I'm sad because... I barely I- saw the inside of my eyelids for a week and a true, half, so... True. Uh, it's called Turn, uh, Washington Spies. This is actually based on Alexander Rose's book, called Washington Spies, The Story of America's First Spy Ring uh, that came out in 2007. This is an AMC series that started last April. Uh, It has been renewed for a second season, so if you are at all interested in this at all, it's not one of those, well, what's the point? It's already over. It's never going to finish its story. it's the main character is Jamie Bell, who <laughs> well known American Jamie uh, Bell, right? Who becomes the, the lead spy almost reluctantly, even though he's just like a, I think he's like a farmer or something in this group of spies for Washington during the beginnings of the American Revolutionary War. And I, like I said, I have not actually seen this. I've heard it's actually quite good, if not a little bit television-y at points more than reality. <laughs> like, I hear those points where you're like, okay, that's completely a television thing and not something you believe could actually have happened. But you know what? 
Yeah, that's going to happen. So, um, yeah, I look forward to, I actually look forward to being able to watch the same point, but that is now out on Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, so now we've gotten to the end of the show, which you know Aww. what that means. It's time for our giveaway. <laughs> and our giveaway this week is Legend of Korra season four on DVD, Hooray! which we reviewed on the last show, not last week because we didn't have a last week's show, but the week before that. Uh, so now give me the season four DVD set of the wonderful Legend of Korra, which I totally adored that whole se- series. I think it's wonderful and came to a very satisfying end. I'm still a big fan of, of, uh, Ang than Cora. Yeah. Um, and considering where the series ends up, there's certain characters I wish had been given a lot more to do in season two and three rather than fucking hanging around right. doing nothing. You know, I, th- I think this is a little bit lumpier and I think it, it overall it has shown that they had their... that it was originally intended to be one season and then they kind of scrabbled and they didn't have the long-term arc. But this is still one of the best pieces of animation I think anybody's done. It's beautiful it's, looking. It's beautiful looking. It's complicated, it's nuanced, it puts character above all else. Yep. And that's the important thing. So here's how you can win it, Richard. (laughs) Okay, you need to follow us on Twitter, um, at at one of us net. net. Ooh, it was Coral there. Yeah. Um, Then tweet to us using the hashtag Cora giveaway. Um, The... Uh, Avatar series is built around the idea of being able to bend certain elements or materials. So there's airbenders, waterbenders, firebenders, earthbenders, metalbenders. Poopbenders. No, no. Wait, 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 wait. Don't give them clues. Uh, If you had the ability to bend any one material, one material, what would it be and why? So again, send us that answer um, uh, via Twitter. Uh, follow us at one of us net and use the hashtag Cora giveaway and that's K O R R A giveaway. Clearly, Poop Benders is out of the running now. Unless you can give us a really stellar reason. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Richard, for being here once again. As always. I mean, like sticking it out, even though you've got to leave town tomorrow to go burn some witches. Burn a witch. And... Witches. <laughs> don't ask people. Just long don't story. Ask. Uh, and just came off of like the <laughs> the uh... Wiccans are going to be mad at me now. Right. Still in the hangover of South by Southwest. But like I said, once again, please, people, click those Amazon links to buy your stuff. Can't tell you how much it, we appreciate that becoming a subscriber, clicking on audible.com and signing up for your free audiobook. All of that stuff is just stuff that helps oneofus.net keep our great content coming out that you love so much. Okay, and until next time, no releases too big, no releases too small. From Criterion to Catastrophe, we review most of them. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye.